This morning I was, uh, well, this, this past couple weeks I've had a word in my heart about Moses. How many of you guys know Moses from the Bible? How many picture, when you picture Moses, you think of Charlton Heston uh, in, in uh, yeah, the Ten Commandments, you know, that epic four-hour movie from the 80s or from the, I don't even know, 80s maybe, but, or maybe you think of 60s, that, 50s, wow, okay, all right, never mind. Clearly I was not around when that was first released. Thanks, Craig, for correcting me on that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I was, I was thinking about Moses, and I want to touch on a bunch of different things about his story, and um, of course, not all of it today, or we'll be here for a couple hours. It wouldn't be a long time, but um, one of the key things I was thinking about uh, of Moses is that he's a picture of, of who we are. Um, so first of all, he's a stranger in a strange land. Now, let me tell you a story about, about being a stranger in a strange land. I, in 2005, I was um, a missionary with YWAM, uh, we served in a, in a country uh, in the Middle East, and um, needless to say, I stuck out just a little bit. Uh, now, the country I was, I was in, uh, folks were about five shades darker than I was, and they were about a foot shorter. So I remember a picture one day of, of walking into a train station, and we had to use a train to get around. Uh, this is a country that had... Um, as previously had at one point been uh, Soviet, part of the Soviet system. And so they had an extensive train network. Uh, but I walked into this train station, it was like, a, like a Grand Central Station in New York City, if you could picture that in your mind. And then here's me walking out that I can, I'm literally head and shoulders over everybody else. And my skin color is very, very different than everybody else. I got a lot of looks. Um, I got a lot of attention. In fact, I had um, secret police approach me and, and wonder what I was doing there, checking my immigration papers. It was a bizarre experience for this, this guy to be a stranger in a strange land. So Moses is like that too, all right? So Moses was um, from the tribe of Judah. Sorry, from the tri- uh, tribe of Levi. He was, a, he was born of uh, Levite parents. Exodus chapter two, if you're following along in your Bible, feel free to look at that chapter two. And the Levites were a tribe set aside by God to be priests and serve only him. Um, Moses was conceived, though, and born in captivity, right? So he was a Levite. His family were members of the priestly tribe, but they were born strangers in a strange land, right? They were born in captivity. Um, And Moses was raised as a prisoner uh, from birth onwards. However, things will change here. Stay tuned. He escaped death twice as a m- newborn, right? Both the first time because uh, there was a death sentence placed on all Hebrew boys, right? If you follow the story. And the second time when his mom couldn't hide him any longer, when he was about three months old, he was placed in the Nile. Um, now, I'm, I'm hoping that his mom, it says that his mom had his, his uh, older sister following along to make sure he was okay, but he escaped death, right? Newborn is, doesn't belong on a river somewhere. He, um, and so he escaped death twice. Um, but the story of Moses gets better really soon because he was drawn out by an Egyptian princess. In fact, his name says in Exodus 2 means to be drawn out. Um, so Exodus 2.10 kind of tells us that Moses grew up in Pharaoh's court. Now, we don't know a lot about his education from the Bible, only from the Ten Commandments, right, Craig? Um, but he, uh, he grew up in privilege, right? He grew up in Pharaoh's house. He grew up in a place and a location far different from um, the, the slave home, the slavery home. He wasn't born in slavery, or he wasn't living in slavery anymore. Um, and I looked up a little bit about what Pharaoh's court meant to live in Pharaoh's court. And if you were a royal or if you were in the royal court, you were taught lots of different things, right? You were taught 
to be how, how to be a soldier, how to use a sword, how to speak multiple language, and how to act and talk like a royal. So I think it's fair to say that he had a way different education growing up in Pharaoh's court than he would have had as a slave building bricks, right? But he was still a stranger in a strange land. Um, Moses was a foreigner raised in a godless society, or I, I should correct that, I'm not godless, it was a god-fool society. If you follow um, Egyptian, uh, you know, culture, they were full with gods. They had a god for everything. It seems like they were, they were worshiping the Nile. They were worshiping frogs. They had a god for, um, you know, fertility. They had a god for the cattle. All this, they were a god-fool society. Um, and though he was born a Hebrew, Moses in a priestly tribe, right? He probably was, uh, his family had probably tried to raise their kids like that because he was raised actually in Pharaoh's court. He began to look and talk and act a lot like an Egyptian. Um, so Moses lives in Egypt until one day he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, kind of catching us up here so we're all on the same page. And it's almost as if he realizes at that moment who he really is. Uh, I had to pause when I read that scripture because, um, you know, here's Moses. We don't know a whole lot about what happened to him from the time he was rescued as a, as a baby until he was, uh, until we see him come into the picture suddenly that he sees a Hebrews being beat, his fellow Hebrews, it says in the Bible, and he sees the plight that they're in and he rescues them. And I believe at that moment, God starts doing something in his heart and his life because it sets him up on a big, crazy journey uh, of what's, what's happening next. Um, and even in the midst of, of this story, though, I, I find it beautiful that, um, that first of all, one, one thing that we are citizens of heaven, a different place. So Moses, just like Moses, we are all citizens of a different place, a different culture. We're placed inside this land in this world. Um, and the world is really different than us, right? It's become maybe more and more apparent. I feel like that's a generational thing. Every generation says, well, this, this day and age we're living in is so different, but right, it's always changing. It's always becoming more and more different and we should live in such a way that we are different than the world. And there's a tension there. Uh, it says in Philippians 3.20 that our, our citizenship is in heaven for which we also eagerly wait for a savior, Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a beautiful picture and similarity of Moses to us. Um, so even in the midst of, um, and one more scripture on that one too, that we have been saved by grace um, through faith, not of ourselves, is the gift of God. Like Moses, we were um, rescued. Moses didn't, was a newborn. He couldn't have been rescued by anybody. He couldn't rescue himself right at three months old, but he was rescued and saved. So we're just like Moses in that sense. Um, but jumping right along to, you know, I'm sharing a lot of, a lot of background on Moses for this reason, that we are uh, like him. Um, and I believe uh, where I want to share today is in Exodus 3 and 4, which is about God's calling and pursuit of Moses. And I believe it gives us a lot of wisdom as we each discern our calling. Um, you know, the, the phrase calling is, is fraught with a lot of heaviness, right? In the church community or in, in, your, in your life, maybe as some seniors who just graduated, you're, you're thinking, what's my calling in life? And we, we often th treat calling like, um, like a, a, it should be a map. Like my calling is the plan for my life. But I think the calling, especially in the context of Moses, is an invitation, invitation to follow who God is. So sometimes we place too much emphasis on knowing exactly what's going to happen, the 20-year plan, and instead it's just an invitation. Um, so let's dive into Exodus 3. So Exodus 3 finds Moses shepherding his flock of, fa of his father-in-law's animals near a mountain called Horeb, um, 
which is, he calls the mountain of God. And Moses kind of writes his own biography, so he's giving us attention. This mountain's an important place. So when suddenly Moses sees an amazing sight, a burning bush, he's curious about it, right, to say the least, and Moses records his thoughts. Uh, I must turn aside and look and see this marvelous sight. Now, isn't that just like God? He captures each of us differently, right? For Moses, it was a burning bush, but I, the question I have as we begin is, is what's your burning bush? How has God captured you? Um, you know, maybe you're already saying, well, I've never seen a burning bush, and if I had seen a burning bush, I would cer- certainly be following God. I'd certainly be walking in a different calling, but God is, I believe God has given each of us a burning bush, even right now, and I believe that you can remember, even as we're, we're talking about this, God's saying, this is your burning bush. This is a burning bush I've given you, and it's a direction, it's a way he's caught our attention. Um, maybe he's, he's spoken to us directly or through the word of God or through somebody else. He's given us a sign. He's healed us or he's overwhelmed us with his love. Um, and sometimes he does that even before we know what's happening. I believe that happened to Moses too. So what's the response to Moses? Uh, what's the response to the burning bush that Moses gave us? He turned aside. He wanted to see the curious sight, but he didn't just stop there. He, he, uh, he turned aside. So where are you to turn aside today in your journey with God? Where, where's God, where's the burning bush at in your life, first of all? And what's God calling you to turn aside to, right? It's a change of direction. Um, I don't want to miss the signs that God has placed for us. Um, a few weeks ago, Hannah and I were in, in uh, Arizona. We had just uh, finished traveling back uh, from the Grand Canyon. We were traveling back to our Airbnb rental, and uh, we were excitedly telling our, our boys about the, the beauty of the Grand Canyon, and um, I missed a sign. And the reason why I knew I missed a sign is because I saw flashing blue and uh, red lights and, and white lights behind me, and it was a very, very friendly Arizona State Trooper who informed me that I missed a sign, a 45 mile an hour sign. I was going 65 because that was the previous sign, but I was incorrect because the current sign was not 65. And so I had a education very quickly on why it's important not to miss signs. And you know, I, I'm glad that God doesn't ticket us for when we miss signs, but um, and I believe that God's calling us to be curious about, and I shared a few weeks ago about being, uh, having wonder, but I think that also there's a curiosity about what God is doing and be willing to look around. Um, so what are, what's your burning bush, number one, and where are you to turn aside? Um, and here's just a, a statement that, that I, I believe that God's calling us to, that we should be known as a people that recognize God's presence, that we move towards God, right? We turn aside from where we're going, move towards God, and remove anything that would get in the way of his presence, and may we be ready to stay a while. So that stay a while, let me explain um, what I mean by that. So obviously, you know, we, as a review of Moses, um, you know, turned aside, and he, he um, changed his direction, and he obeys, right? So that's a, we can, can we like uh, just acknowledge that it's, good, it's a good thing to obey God, right? Um, so, um, and when God calls to Moses, he says, here I am. And let's just talk about the situation that happens and unfolds. God tells Moses to take off his sandals. Why does he do that? I was studying this a little bit, and um, you know, there's a couple things that God really placed, placed on my heart as I was studying this out, right? So first of all, it's common for people in that time to take off shoes when entering a, a holy place or a temple. So you didn't bring dirt inside. Um, and I remember growing up, my mom was always like, take your shoes off before you get in the house so you don't bring any dirt inside, right? 
Um, but I believe it speaks to a spiritual sense in that we leave our past behind when we step near to God. So when Moses is taking off his shoes in the middle of this holy place, he takes a, he's leaving the junk um, aside. You know, I think the junk even we express is more than just our sins. Sometimes it's resolving conflicts. I was thinking of Matthew five twenty four, which talks about uh, if you have a conflict with your brother, stop what you're doing, even if you're going to church turn around and resolve that conflict first. So there's an aspect of when we're coming to God, we're turning aside, we're leaving behind our junk, including conflict, including sin and all that stuff. But the second thing, what I alluded to about staying a while is when I visit somebody, you know, if you're just there to visit them, like to pick up something or to drop somebody off, right? You don't need you to take your shoes off. That would be kind of weird. But if you're staying a while, you take your shoes off uh, because you're gonna go into the living room, you're gonna go into the carpet. And I believe that second part, the stay a while as happens when we take off our shoes. So that God was inviting Moses to not just um, be there for a moment to like get what he wanted, like a, uh, a quick stop of, of his uh, presence, but to stay a while, to linger in his presence. So like I said, may we be ready to stay a while in God's presence. Um, so back to Moses. He's here standing barefoot in front of this burning bush and God has his full attention. And God does something beautiful. Um, first, he reminds Moses of who he is that he's the God of his forefathers, which is really just saying two things about God, that he's been around for a while. You know, we, we don't, don't ever acknowledge that we, we pray God is a God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but what is that really saying, that he's been faithful? That he's not been, he's not new, the new kid on the block, but he's been around for a while, and that, that Moses can picture how God has uh, answered promises for Abraham and for Isaac and for Jacob. You know, he's been around, and um, that he keeps his promises. And if we, if we look at verses seven, this is in chapter three, verse seven and nine, and the Lord said to Moses, this brings me great comfort, that I have certainly seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their outcry because of their taskmasters, masters, and I am aware of their sufferings. So I believe we pause in this moment, even as we're talking about Moses, that someone needs to hear this today, that God sees what you're going through, that he hears you and he's aware of your suffering, Right? You are not forgotten. You're not invisible to God. And I believe that's a, that's a beautiful picture of who God is and what he desires to do, that we're not invisible to him. That's the first thing that my heart goes to in doubt, you know, when, when I'm struggling with something, it's like, I feel so alone right now. But that's the truth. The truth is that Moses heard from God that even then that he, he was always watching over the Israelites. He was always there for them, and they weren't invisible to him. And he sees them. So we step back into Moses' story about the calling when God tells Moses what he has in mind, verse 10, if you're following along in chapter three, he says to Moses, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, I'm gonna send you to Egypt and you're going to rescue my people and bring them out of Egypt. Now this is the expression I thought of when uh, I was thinking of Moses. Like the, the deadpan expression. If you ever seen Steve Harvey, he has a great, great expression, shocked face, right? So yeah, I, I really, as you contemplate that, that picture of God, um, telling Moses, you know, it'd be, it'd be one thing if God would say, right, uh, I'm sending you to Egypt and I'm going to rescue the people. Like, I, I can do that. Like, I can come along. Like, I feel like, you know, I could ride along in a helicopter with a bunch of Navy SEALs and they can drop in and I'll just be like there to cheer them on, like that kind of thing. But no, he says, I'm going to send you to Egypt and you're going to rescue my people and bring them out, out of Egypt. So if I wasn't falling over and faint, I'd probably be an expression like Steve Harvey right here. So maybe this is our first clue in discerning our, our callings. Um, while we may not all be called to rescue an entire people group from an enemy nation, don't be surprised if the calling God has for your life appears to be so much bigger, maybe scarier than you could ever imagine. 
Also, did you notice that Moses uh, tells God, Moses tells, uh, God, Moses, sorry, God tells Moses that he is the deliverer. Did you catch that in the scripture? That God tells uh, Moses that he's going to be the part of the plan, that he is the deliverer. So, um, and I just paraphrase that by saying God delights in using us for his big mission to save the world. Um, uh, so, Moses is, is there standing. I don't know, maybe he's, maybe he's a faint. Maybe he had to pick him off off the ground, the angel next to the burning bush to pick him up. But God says, um, you know, I want you. I thought of this picture, Uncle Sam. You know, we, we talk about that as America wanting, wanting us, but God wants us. He wants you. Um, and Moses probably picked his jaw off the ground and um, it seems like if you if you read in here that he had a he had kind of a list of excuses already, um, you know he already even after he's been told this huge mission, he's like but God but God but God but God and isn't that like us sometimes we have a list of excuses about uh, what we think we can do what we can't do, um, and I, I thought and this is like my my '90s talk show host but you know how's it working with for you to like argue with God right? Um, so Exodus three eleven I'm gonna turn here myself. So Moses, here's his first excuse. He says, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, assuredly, I will be with you and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall go worship God in this mountain. Um, I can only imagine that this morning in prayer, we were kind of praying and there was a joyfulness to our prayers even as we were praying really big things. And um, I can imagine God was laughing at Moses a little bit, right? He was kind of saying, uh, you know, wait a second, Moses. Um, you know, you were just in Egypt. You were just raised in Pharaoh's court. You know all about the Egyptians. You speak their language, probably, right? You know all about how they do warfare. You know all about how their government works. And you've been trained on how to speak and act like a royal. You're the perfect person for the, for the job. But yet, here's, here's Moses, um, you know, ready to throw out his life experiences and his gifts. He's ready to toss it all out when he's faced with a calling that seems bigger to him or harder than he could imagine. And like Moses, we readily throw that out too, right? We think about all the life experiences we have and when we're called by God and it's a big thing, God, we, we tend to throw all those things out. We're faced with a challenge. We're like, nope, I'm not really good, good at that. Um, why? Because we're human. That means we're in good company with Moses. I'm excited about that. Verse 12 says, this is the God's promise to us. Assuredly, I will be with you. Now, let me just stop right there. Do you notice that the first thing that God does is not answer Moses' question? Like, jump back to, to Exodus 3.11, and Moses said to God, who am I? That's the question he asked at the very beginning. And Moses says, not who you are, but where am I? I'm with you. Um, we expect God to answer our questions exactly how we, we think. Um, Maybe we expect like a spiritual like resume to be downloaded, like God saying, okay, Moses, yes, you were born in Egypt, you were raised in the Egyptian court, you speak the language. But no, the first thing he says that he's, he is with us and that should give us great comfort and great strength that he's not even listing Moses' qualifications, even though he's probably very, very qualified for the job, but he just says, no, I'm with you. He kind of sidesteps the argument of qualifications, by the way, which should be exciting for if, if, if you ever feel you're not qualified, he just says, I'm the qualifier because I'm with you. Um, and so he says, the sign that I'm with you, the sign that you know that I'm speaking with you is that you're gonna be coming back 
bring the whole nation of Israel back to this mount, this very mountain that you're standing at right now where this burning bush is at to have a big worship party. And often God brings us back to minister in our areas of victory. Um, do you ever wrestle, any parents here wrestle with raising godly, godly kids, wrestling to, to raise uh, kids in this world that we live in? You know what, uh, maybe God is calling you to minister to other parents where you've seen victories, calling you to, to do that. I, I think of my friend Ron. I was inviting him to come here because he's a great heckler. But my friend Ron has had a victory in, in overcoming addiction and drugs and alcohol. And now he ministers to people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol and he's drawing them out. So God uses us in areas of victory. Um, and even if right now you're saying, well, I'm struggling with something. I'm really in the, in the midst of an addiction or a sin. Uh, be ready and get excited for, because God not only wants to give you victory, but he wants to set you free and bring you, have you be a part of drawing others to victory with you. So I can think of anything, right? We could, we could name all, anything you're struggling with today, anything we're struggling with today. And God doesn't want to just save us for ourselves, right? He wants us to, in, in the theme of Abraham's blessing, he wants to bless us so we can be a blessing to others. He wants to rescue us so we can be rescuers to others. Okay, so Moses still isn't convinced. Um, I don't blame him. Like the whole chapter, chapter three is Moses is actually chapter four too. This is Moses' excuses. Um, maybe I'm the only one who feels this way, but don't, I just want to, I want to look for a huge list of signs and more signs and confirmations and like miracles when we sense a big calling. Um, Exodus 13, or sorry, 313 is where we're going to continue with the scripture. So Moses says to God, behold, I'm going to send the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. So Moses is kind of setting up God. Like, God, here's what I picture happening. Um, the gods of your fathers have sent me to you. Now they may say to you, or say to me, what is it, what is your name? What shall I say to them? Right, so um, anybody ever do this where you, you, uh, you see a situation coming in the future and you immediately go to like the, the, the worst possible situation, like the fear in your heart? Like, I, I do that and maybe I'm the only person who does that. If so, I'm preaching to myself, but thanks, Jeff. I appreciate the hand there too. But, you know, we think about the worst possible case and Moses is just like us, right? He says, you know, okay, I'm walking to Egypt. So he's kind of like saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe gonna do this, but what about this excuse, God? And so, um, you know, he, he says, behold, um, sorry, skipping along to 14. What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Now, in, in your Bible, is I am who I am written in a different font? If you guys are reading in a, in a paper Bible, right? Um, it says, I am who I am. If it, even capitalized, I think it's, yeah, it's a little, little different fonts, all capitalized. Um, and I think this is beautiful that, um, you know, when God said, when Moses is asking God, who, what should they call you? What should I say to them? And God answers, I am who I am. Um, I am has sent me to you. So, um, this is what I should say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is the name for all generations to use to call to me. So Moses has a calling, and he's kind of warming up to, the, to it, but he doubts people will believe him. And what does God say? He tells Moses to say his name. I am who I am, and that I am sent me. Now, I was trying to wrap my mind around what, what the importance of that phrase was. So first of all, like history-wise, I am who I am was the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is a really, really important name. It's a special name of God. And I was like, what's, what's the specialness about that name, right? So, um, you know, think about the names of God we call him. We, we call God many different names, right? We call him our healer, you know, our, he's a creator. He's, uh, you know, peace, 
Prince of Peace, you know, what else can you think? Even, even right now, think of names you call. Yeah, go ahead, call it out. Yeah, we, we call many things. But here's a special thing about um, I am who I name. I, I'm sorry, I am who I am. Um, Yahweh, or I am who I am, as translated in English, was God's personal name. Uh, in a way, it was, so it was holy, right? And Jewish people today, some Jewish people don't even pronounce Yahweh out loud for, for reverence to the name. They don't even write it uh, fully, again, for reverence. It was holy and, and set apart. Um, and, but I think that, in a way, God's personal name is really his personal nickname that he wants us to call him by. Now, let me explain that a little bit. I'm not belittling God because saying he has a nickname, but I'm saying that um, when Moses is asking God, what should I say? Who's, what's your name? God says, tell him to call me by my personal name uh, because that's who I am. I'm your personal God. Um, I'm all these things too, but call me by my nickname, right? We, we, uh, you know, we had a discussion a few weeks ago, I believe it was in a meeting somewhere and we talked about nicknames growing up. You know, and, and there's, there's nicknames people have, and they're usually terms of endearment, right? Meaning that there's, they're names that you call somebody because you know them really, really well. Um, you know, and, and I think that God is saying it to Moses, that here's my personal name. Here's the personal way you should address me and the people. So this, um, God desires to have us uh, call him by his personal name. Now, I used to work in an office where the CEO of the office, you know, he had a special office, of course, but he wasn't even addressed by his first name, right? He was the only guy in the, in the office that we had to call by his last name. Um, and it was always Mr. So-and-so, but for sure it was out of respect, but it also communicated a distance and a separation from his employees uh, and even his friends and family because his friends and family could call him by his first name, but we couldn't call him his employees by his first name. And again, that's what God is saying to Moses, call me by my first name. Call me by the special name that's reserved for any, anybody else. And, and so I believe another, another clue for our calling is this, that um, our calling is strengthened by our intimacy with God. Are you unsure or, unafra- or afraid of your calling? Know that God is with you. He knows you and he considers you his friend, right? We only speak personal names to those that, uh, you know, we, we use personal names for people that we love and we care about. And God says, call me by my, the name that my friends call me. Draw near to him today. Um, now, um, Exodus uh, 3, uh, starting at verse 16, follows, and only verse 22 follows God's listing of just how exactly he's going to give the Israelites victory. So there is a roadmap there, and it's a complete demolishment of the enemy. I don't want to go into the details of the scripture, but if you could read it later on, uh, suffice to say, you know, when God is working on defeating our enemies, he doesn't have the 10-point rule or the 35-point rule if you're in football or whatever else. You know, we have rules in high school sports about trying not to embarrass our opponent too much. So if you're winning by such a large margin, they kind of slow the game down. Or in in football, they kind of speed the game up to make it end sooner, to end the suffering of the enemy. But no, when when God desires to... um, to defeat our enemies. He does so dramatically, first of all, number one, completely, and it's an embarrassment to the enemy. So are you in the midst of a struggle for your calling right now? I believe God's gonna, not only going to see you through it, but he's, and you're going to be the victor, but you're going to take back from the enemy what was stolen, and it's going to be an embarrassment to the enemy. And why? I'm not just making this up. Romans 8.37 says we're more than conquerors. The, the phrase there, it gets me excited because I often have hyper kids, but it's a hyper conqueror too, right? Can you imagine a kid that's hyper right? And God makes us hyper conquerors. More than conquerors is the, is the more boring way to say it maybe, but we're hyper conquerors uh, for God. So he doesn't just rescue us. 
he sets us into our calling and sees that we bring others along into his victory. Um, there we go. So then, so if you're following along, maybe you can guess what happens next. So Moses has had two excuses so far. Do we think he's going to have another excuse? Yeah, you're with me. Okay. So we're still making excuses. We're still doubting. Just like uh, Moses, let's see what God does about it. So Moses 4, uh, chapter 4, Exodus 4, uh, chapter, uh, starting at uh, verse 1, says, Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what, what I say? What, so they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. So when we get overwhelmed by our calling, we need to do what God tells Moses to do. Look right at what's in our hands. So Moses was a shepherd, so it wouldn't be unusual for him to have a staff in his hands. That was the toolkit of a shepherd. Um, he, was a ty- he, was, he was a shepherd. He wasn't running away, but he actually he had, had run away from, uh, to escape from uh, the, the punishment of the exodus or for the uh, Egyptians who were not happy that, that they had killed an Egyptian. And, uh, but God, God was, found him as a shepherd and God met him there and he said, um, hey, what's in your hand? A staff. So what is a staff in your life? What's in your hands right now? And maybe part of the calling that God has placed in your heart is what's already in your hands. What do you find yourself doing already? Um, I was thinking a, a few years ago, um, in, I was doing a school ministry at Christ Community and, and uh, I was very, very busy in photography at the time. Still am, it's still my, still a calling that I have is to be a, a wedding photographer. Um, I remembered I, I was like, in, in this class we were, we were asked to, you know, look at our vocation, look at the things we do and see the spiritual aspect of what it is. And as I was uh, thinking about it and praying about it and, and kind of meditating before God about why I love photography so much, it wasn't just the, the cool gear and getting to eat really good wedding food on Saturdays and all that stuff, but I, I realized that I, I really desired to, to draw the beauty out of people, just to find those moments in a day that maybe they happen so quickly that you can miss if you're not capturing them to capture those beautiful moments, but I also love to encourage people. I, I love, for me, I love, uh, well, doesn't anybody love when somebody laughs at your jokes, but especially, you know, I love to, as a photographer, I love to like say a joke or to, to set somebody in a position where they feel good about themselves and then to show them later on, this is how good you look. And so for me, God was calling, calling out a, a trait in my heart that it wasn't just a photography skill, it wasn't just a, a skill of how to operate a camera or how to talk to people, what was about um, a deeper spiritual truth, and that is I love to call out and encourage people to, to, uh, to see them set free, to set up, and to show them how beautiful they really are. Um, and that has encouraged me when I feel discouraged about photography, and where my business was declining in 2020, and it was all crazy that God has also called me to use the skill that he placed inside my heart of drawing the beauty out of others, of encouraging them, and being there. So you're, you're calling, um, maybe like me, maybe directly related to your vocation, and that's great. But don't be surprised if also God has a calling as being defined and refined in a vocation or activity far different from your calling. Um, so the next sign that Moses, that God gives Moses is um, he has Moses place his hand in his robe. Um, that's at uh, verse, verse four, if you're following along in chapter four. Moses, the Lord said to Moses, reach out with your hand and grasp it by its, oh sorry, that was a snake jumping on a little bit more. Sorry, verse six. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand inside the fold of your robe. So he put his hand inside the fold. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous with snow. Then he said, put your hand inside the fold of your robe again. So he put his hand inside the fold again. When he took it out of the fold, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Um, so 
as I'm reading these signs, I, I should back up a little bit and say we can read these as two levels. Number one, the level of these signs was all about systematically going after Egyptian gods. That's a really powerful statement about God's power. So um, the snake, mo- uh, the Egyptians were, were concerned, like most normal people, about snakes. So the first sign was about a snake and about God being in control and, and more powerful than snakes. It was about God using the staff of Moses, the thing he had in his hand, using that as a powerful statement. The next sign about the leper was leprous ham was also a sign. So in, in Bible times, in the times of Moses, uh, leprosy was a disease that was horrible. Uh, it was a disease that was associated with lots of shame. And the Egyptians actually even thought it was, a, it was a sign that you were too prideful even. So there was an aspect to the Egyptian culture that this was speaking to. But I believe at a different level even that the, the leprosy has a clue to what God also uses as in, in explaining our callings that um, leprosy, so first of all, is a disease that has lots of shame attached to it. Still does even today, but at the time, there was no cure for it, and leprosy was a disease that when you had it, uh, people weren't sure how it all worked, and so they, they made you quarantine. You had to quarantine yourself for, away from everybody else. You had to um, even yell out before you walked into a place that I'm unclean, I'm unclean. You had to uh, live and camp out outside the city. Uh, it was a horrible disease. It was filled with shame. You know, you couldn't live a normal life with leprosy. Um, and I think that a key to our calling is related to how we see the things in our lives is, that are shameful. We don't hide them, right? But we deal with them. We see healing because of that. Uh, too often in, in our journey of discerning or walking our calling, we let our, we let our um, issues of shame become bigger than the God who can heal them if we allow them to. And I think that's the most powerful thing about Moses' sign, right? It wasn't a sign that he had turned his hand into leprosy, but it was a sign that he healed his hand too. So maybe you're, you're, you're saying, God, I have a calling in my life. God, there's something you're, you're, you put in my heart. It's a passion of mine, but there's stuff that I'm dealing with that's shame. Don't see that as a hindrance to your, your calling. See that as a sign that God's gonna work and use that uh, to move. And that see that God will give you victory too, that he heals us, that he frees us from our shame and sets us up in a place of victory. So, amen. So, the next sign, chapter four is full of signs. God gives another sign to Moses, turning the Nile water into blood. So, let me explain this on two levels. First of all, the Nile for Egyptians was like their source of, um, it was a source of sustenance. It was provision. If the Nile would, would ever, uh, you know, dry up, the Egyptians would be really messed up. They, they lived in a, in a really a desert, a dry area. So if the river dried up, there was no way they could grow crops. There was no way they could uh, raise families. So uh, the Egyptians quite literally, like I mentioned earlier, they worshiped the Nile. They had a God uh, who was overseeing the Nile and they, they prayed to the Egyptians. So when God gave Moses a sign uh, about uh, turning the Nile uh, water into blood. It was a sign that God was over everything, even our, our provision. He cares for us. Um, and he was showing the Egyptians that he is ultimately in charge. There's not, a, there's not a single thing that comes that's over God, over his power. So maybe you're looking at your life and saying, I'm, I have a calling, but I don't see the provision for it. Know that God also has, gives us victory and provides for us, that he is the creator of heaven and earth and he provides and he's over it all. So that's the third sign. Exodus 4, verse 10 says this. This is the next excuse, right? A list of excuses here. Moses said to God, Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. 
But the Lord said to him, who has made the human mouth or who makes anyone unable to speak or, or deaf or able to see or, or be blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, kind of remind us again, like Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court. So he probably had some lessons on making some speeches and diplomacy and all that stuff. So I imagine God might've been laughing a little bit at Moses when he was saying, I've never been eloquent, God, you know, and, and we do that sometimes with God. Like I said before, we, we have, a, have a call in God's place in our heart and we're, we're challenged with something next and bigger. And we're like, no, no, I'm not really like that. Um, and he points out, Moses points out to God his flaws. He doesn't speak, think of himself as eloquent or calls himself slow of speech. And if you look this up, sometimes um, some smarter guys than me will say that Moses probably or maybe struggled with uh, stuttering or some sort of uh, defect that he couldn't speak clearly. And I'm not sure about that. It's possible. But God reminds Moses again that um, it's he who creates the human mouth and that he or God has full authority of whether someone can speak. So don't let... Like Moses, we shouldn't let any physical defect or struggle with speaking to um, get in the way of what God is calling us to do. So we have all that. Exodus 4.13. Then gets another excuse. Yeah, here we go. Another excuse. But now Moses says, uh, sorry, back up in verse 12 a little bit. Uh, God tells Moses, now then go, and I myself will be with your mouth and instruct you in what you are to say. So God, again, he's like, Moses, come on, man. Come on, dude. Let's go. I'm with you. I'm with your mouth even. Let's go. And then, so uh, chapter four, verse, verse 13 says this. Moses says, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. God, anybody but me. Come on. Maybe no one else has done that, but man, I, I feel, uh, you know, you, if you think of a grumpy neighbor, you're like, God, God's calling you to minister to them. God, anybody but me like anybody but that person. Maybe you could think, think about uh, somebody in your life, and if you're not, you're, you're far holier, and that's great. I'm glad that God is doing a work in your life, but you know, I struggle with that too. Like, God, anybody but me would to deal with this. You know, maybe I think about that with my kids and parenting sometimes. Like, God, at nine o'clock, anybody but me can put my kids to bed. Anybody but me can minister to them. No, but he has called us to minister to who he's called us to. Um, but uh, this, this verse gets to like the, the, the crux of the climax of the story of Moses' excuses with God because of this. We, we see that God in this whole dialogue, right? Chapter, most of chapter three and in chapter four, he's having a dialogue with Moses. You don't get any sense that, that God's angry with Moses' excuses. You just get a, a picture of a dialogue and um, God hears Moses' excuses and he responds with how he's gonna fix the problem. Um, you see another excuse. God, what are they gonna, how, how am I supposed to, what name am I supposed to call you by? And God answers. God, what kind of signs should I show? God answers step by step by step. And finally, the, in chapter four, for, uh, verse 14, he says, anybody but me. And then we read the next, very next verse. Uh, sorry, verse, verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Do you notice that? That it wasn't until Moses wanted to step out of actually doing it that God got angry with them? Now, what does it tell me about who God is? It tells me that um, for Moses, God didn't see a plan B, that Moses was it. Like he said, Moses, you're the one I've called to rescue the Israelites, your people from Egypt and bring them back to this mountain so we can worship, right? And so when Moses said, anybody but me, God, you know, what's he saying? He's saying, God, I don't like your plan. But God's saying, Moses, you are the plan. And um, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get God angry at me. 
for that. Is that, can we all agree on that? Like we don't want to get ang- God angry at us, um, but we're, we're trying to, often like Moses in this sense, we, we create even a th- entire theologies about how God will always get us out of our messes, right? And always make a way. And I don't want to, to step into that in a sense of that God can, can fix us, he rescues us, and he always saves us. But I think that oftentimes we, we, God has called us clearly to do something and we've used grace as an excuse to not step into it rather than as the after the fact that God, I've failed and grace rescues us. So we use it as an excuse even and create a theology of saying, anybody but me, God, because I know you're graceful. I know you care about me. I know you have somebody else in life. But God say, no, you're the one. You're the one. So today, you're the one. God has called you, each of us. He's called us. You're the one. Um, you're the one. The calling of God has for our lives is both smaller and bigger than we first believed. Now, you're like, wait a second. Aren't you just, weren't you setting us up for something like we're all supposed to be Moses and we're supposed to be rescuing the whole entire people groups? And yeah, I believe that. And let me explain. Um, the calling of God on our lives is both uh, smaller than we believe, and I'm using air quotes. Um, and, and what do I mean? I mean that sometimes I think we're standing around waiting for a call from God that's so big and massive. Like, God, I'm just waiting for your call to, to sign me up so I can go to Africa and minister and drill wells by hand. Uh, and I'm, I'm waiting for a call to be, to be uh, called up to the White House so I can speak to President Biden and, and tell him how he should run the country. Um, or I should, you know, God, I'm called to minister in Alaska you know, with the Eskimos, all that stuff. Um, but I believe that, God, that, that our, sometimes our calling is smaller in the sense that God called us to minister to our kids. God calls us to minister to our coworkers. God calls us to where we're at, where we're planted with the staff in our hand to minister to wherever he finds us, wherever we're we are found. Um, and we're called to demonstrate love while we're on the highway. You know, we're called to, uh, to demonstrate God's love, to have a calling to show patience in the line at Walmart. Um, God's calling us to be observant for signs, for burning bushes of our neighbors in need for the burning bushes of our kids who need direction in life, for the burning bushes of our coworkers who need direction. You know, he's calling us to do these things. So sometimes the calling of God is, is smaller than we think, but not in the sense that we shouldn't do it, but that we should be, go after that too. Um, and I also believe that uh, God's calling us to be available, right? Much like God uses Moses' staff, he's called us to use the things we already have. Many of us are already walking in God's calling. Maybe today you just need that encouragement that where you're at at, at your job, where you're at in your life is God's encouragement where you're called. I remember a few years ago, you know, I was a stay-at-home dad, still am for a little bit, and and, um, there was a season of life where I was like, um, you know, playing with my kids and like, God, I really want a bigger calling than this right now. Like I'm, I'm playing with some toys and and, uh, not feeling like I'm using the gifts and talents that God gave, gave me, but he said, no, the calling you're at right now is great. Keep doing that. The this, this small calling, we, we make it small, right? God's, God doesn't make it small. We make it small. Don't wait for the bigger calling when you're missing out on the smaller callings God has for it each, each day. Um, now also, I believe that God has bigger callings for us. And let me explain that too. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us, right? It's not an external power, it's internal. God's working inside of us. He calls us for a big thing. And the phrase that struck out to me in this verse is that um, 
God is able to do. He, him who is able, God is able. So I lo- looked it up a little bit. Uh, God is able to do, and it, it's amplified. That phrase is amplified in the scripture. So it's amplified by the word far, amplified and multiplied by the word more, right? God is able to do, it's amplified and multiplied by the word abundantly. So all these, these three words, they, I, I think that words are powerful, but God is able to do far, he's able to do more, he's able to do abundantly, and then beyond too, I missed, you missed one there, able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. So maybe you've heard someone use the phrase that God's stretching me, or you ever used that phrase yourself? I have, you've been stretched to do something you're not used to. Um, it's a good thing for us to be stretched. Um, Hannah's been dealing with some back pain, and so she decided to go to a physical therapist, and, and they're stretching her. Now, I'm glad that that person is qualified to stretch, stretch her because, you know, I'd feel like you could stretch somebody in the wrong way, but no, God is like that, that um, wise physical therapist who stretches us in the right way. Um, you know, what's the, what's the opposite of being flexible and limber? It's to be stiff. I don't want to walk around life being stiff. And so when we say God's stretching me, that's a good thing. We want to be stretched by God so we can be flexible and move into what God's calling us to do. Um, and I think that we often pray big prayers for other people, right? We often pray. It's easy for us to, to, to watch the calling. Like maybe you're looking at the Hauptmans here and saying, y'all are a little crazy. Moving, moving seven hours north, you know, uh, not really, you know, uh, uh, all the details are kind of fuzzy about how this is all going to work, you know, and it's, but we're, we're with you because we can pray for you. And it's easy to, to pray for them and be like, yep, God's got you, trust you. But it's a whole lot harder for us to pray for ourselves, right? Um, we, we pray this, this prayer for other people, but we don't believe it for ourselves. Um, God is stretching us. God is stretching us so we can be limber and flexible and ready for the big callings he has for us. Um, we make the discomfort about our callings our mountain where we get stuck. We make the struggle about our callings all about us. Just like look at Moses' excuses, right? Moses had a list of excuses about, again, all about him. If you look at it, right? He was about, you know, who am I was the first one. You know, what are they gonna do? Uh, what's, what's my name? How will they know that you sent me? What if they don't believe me? I'm not qualified. I can't speak well enough, right? They're all about him. We make our excuses about God's calling all about us sometimes. Um, And I believe that, you know, what would it look like, right, to be a people of God that are obedient to God's call the first time without hesitation? Uh, The picture of Moses, you know, Moses wasn't a perfect guy. If you read through his story, he still struggled and we still struggle too. We, We should take comfort in the fact that when we step into what God has called us to, uh, amazing things can happen. And I believe that God has a calling for us too that just like he sets us up in the areas of our victory, right? The areas of our sin and what used to be the enemy having a foothold on us and a, and a stranglehold rather on us, that God sets us up for victory, not just for ourselves, but to r- bring other people. And so I, I leave, it, leave you with this, that what would it look like for God, us to be people of God that are obedient to God's call the first time without hesitation? And if you look at chapter four, I closed my Bible too early. So I kind of skipped over a little bit about Moses, you know, and God bringing, providing Aaron. You know, God, God always provides and takes care of us, um, takes care of us, but um, I'm sorry, wrong, wrong chapter, but I'm glad I have these numbers so I can look at them. There we go. 
So <clears throat> God calls us, and if you skip ahead, sorry, this is in Deuteronomy 1, 2. Don't make the mistake Moses made and assume that God is someone more qualified for your calling than you. Um, listen to the truth of God's response to Moses in all these lines that I am with you. I'm with you, Moses. The first thing he said, I'm with you. God is with you. God is with you. And yet God calls you and he calls me, right? Um, you are God's plan A. There's no, no plan B for God. God calls us. And Deuteronomy 1, 2 um, gives us a, an example of what happens here. So it says in Deuteronomy 1, 2 that, um, that the Israelites, if they had taken the direct route from Egypt to the promised land, it would have been just 11 days. Instead, Moses is addressing them on the 40th year of their journey. Um, they wander through the wilderness. They go through all this hassle uh, for 40 years and it could have been an 11-year journey. Do you know that the destination that they were called to was still the same, right? That, that uh, either way, they were still going to the promised land. God got them there, right? But it was a, a, and a, whether we would be, they were obedient to God and doing the, the straight route, the 11-day route, or the 40-year route, God still gets his, his, his way for us. Um, yeah, that's the good news, right? Um, but we need to listen to God's command. And I feel like I want to end, end with this, that in Deuteronomy 1, 6, that you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Now let me explain the mountain for us. I believe the mountain is that, that place of comfort. The mountain is that place where we find ourselves right now. We're like, yep, God, I'm, I'm kind of happy with a measure of what you have for me. I'm kind of happy with the calling that I have, whether it's a, the small calling or just just a, going through life in a, in a place of comfort. But I believe we need to hear the, the word clearly today, just like for Moses and for us too, that you have stayed long enough at this mountain. It's time to get off of our mountains, right, and step into the calling God has for us. Moses wouldn't have rescued the people of Israel if he had stayed on the mountain, right? He was having an encounter with God. It was an awesome thing. Even in the midst of his excuses, God was still right there with him. But if Moses had ne neglected to get off the mountain and actually go and do what he was called to do, the people of Israel never, would never have been rescued. So today I should say, you know, what would it look like to be people of God who the first time, without hesitation, listened to God's call? So here's a choice I think we have. 11 days or 40 years, it's your choice. It's our choice today to step into God's calling. So God, help us. Help us, God, to pay attention to the calling you've placed in our heart. Help us to see those burning bushes of calling, God. To turn aside, God, to, to lay aside distractions, even the things that we're doing right now of comfort, God, and to follow you, Father. Um, help us just to walk in the small and the big callings you have for us, God. To not, to not lose sight, to not wait for a bigger calling to come along, but just to walk in the callings we have right now. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to see how big you are. Father, we just thank you that you are with us all the time. And God, may we be a people who passionately and quickly respond to all that you've called us to do. Thank you, Father, for doing a work in our hearts, for touching us today, and for setting us free not just for ourselves, but so we can be like Moses and bring others with us to the promised land. Thank you, Father. Amen.